Welcome to podcast number 77. Today's date is November 26, 2019, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Crime Spree Magazine said that Amy Hicks is an up-and-coming author everyone should watch. 2019 Lefty Award nominee, a 2019 Seamus Award nominee, 2018 Agatha Award nominee for Best First Novel for What Doesn't Kill You, a Willa Pennington P.I. Mystery Book One. In this episode, she also plays homage to Robert B. Parker and the Sonny Randall series. After 20 years as a federal contractor, she retired and turned to murder. Fictionally, of course. Amy lives with her family, three dogs, and all her killer thoughts. It is my pleasure to welcome Amy Hicks to the show. Welcome to My Favorite Detective Stories. My Favorite Detective Stories features successful private investigators. They offer insights into their careers and advice to those just starting out or to those who are struggling. We will learn from the best. Of course, we cannot finish the show without asking them to share their favorite detective story. On alternating weeks, you will hear from crime fiction writers who discuss their latest books and what makes their fictional detectives tick. Throughout my investigative career spanning five decades, I cannot think of a time that I didn't have a good crime novel on my coffee table or bedstand. We will also talk about their favorite authors as well. As a working investigator, coach, and writer, I hope to bring inspiration, information, and entertainment in the areas that interest me most. Gather around my campfire as I invite you to listen in. This episode is brought to you by my own crime thriller with a mystery twist, Odessa on the Delaware. A Russian gang enforcer is on a murderous rampage to take over the entire Philadelphia mob scene. A homeless vet doesn't know that he has the proof or that he's next on the list. The stakes are high for this deadly cat and mouse game set on the bleak Philly waterfront of years gone by. FBI agent Marsha O'Shea, a gunslinger from the Miami cartel days, is back in her hometown, quietly finishing out her career, but now is drawn into this case with a secret pushing her doggedly to follow the clues, only to uncover a greater secret that may get her killed in the final showdown. You can buy Odessa from your favorite online retailer. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Well, uh, I'm glad that you're here, too, as well. And how is the weather down there in the greater Washington area today? Um, I'm about to make everybody extremely jealous. It is the perfect early fall day here in D.C. Um, Abundant sunshine. It's about 76 degrees. Light breeze, maybe five miles to 10 miles per hour. It's just low humidity. It's perfect. That sounds peachy. <laughs> Notice how at this time in our uh, podcast, we I mentioned the word peach, but that's okay. It just, it just came out. I like so, peaches. That's fine. I know. Uh, so, and then uh, up here in Connecticut today, it's blustery. We had uh, a, day, a much needed day of rain yesterday, and the weather that moved out is now being pushed out by blustery breezes here in early fall and uh, knocking some of the leaves down. Just letting me know how many leaves I'm going to have to rake uh, come uh, after Thanksgiving. So anyway, uh, I wanted to uh, applaud you for being nominated for the Seamus Awards uh, for 2019 uh, in the Best First Private Eye Novel category for What Doesn't Kill You. And uh, I just thought that would be, I'd love to have you on and have you tell me about the book. Have you tell me about Willa Pennington? your Washington, D.C. private investigator. And uh, and then we'll get into some other things later on. 
Okay, great. Thank you. And thank you for the kudos. It Honestly, I was rather surprised. Um, I, I don't want to say I've been given guff, but there, there have been there have been people who are not as impressed with a young millennial private eye as they seem to prefer the, you know, the typical Sam Spade, hard drinking, you know, feet up on his desk, the gams, walk it in kind of thing. And um, it's one of the reasons why I wrote her. Yeah, it's a damn good reason to write her. Um, I write uh, uh, Marsha O'Shea a badass FBI agent trying to get her mojo back. And, uh, and she's no Sam Spade, that's for sure. So, yeah, yeah I mean, and, and I think a strong, uh, female protagonist, uh, represents an unrepresented or a poorly represented, uh, portion of law enforcement in general. Um, and then also crime fiction, uh, generally as well. So, uh, kudos to you. And you know what? That if somebody else found her to be uh, worthwhile and, and the other things like the plotting and the uh, suspense and those other minor things that go into a fiction thriller. Well, I, I, yeah, excuse me. Pushaw, those, <laughs> those minor little details. Yes. So, yeah. Um, so for me, I think that's wonderful that you got nominated. And I'm glad that uh, the the judges there are giving you a nomination. So. Fantastic. So uh, you mentioned, I mentioned Willa by name. Uh, you talked to her about her being a young millennial. Please continue to, to tell me more from the character Bible of Willington, Willa, Willa Pennington. Okay. Well, Willa is actually a former Fairfax County police officer, like her father before her. Um, she uh, was a uniform cop for five years. That that and that's uh, right about the time that you can take the detective exam for Fairfax County. Um, when her very best friend in the world, Michael, is um, killed in Afghanistan, she is just set adrift. Her father, who is former um, military intelligence, former Fairfax County police officer, is now a private investigator. So she decides that she's going to join him and work under him um, because she she may not have realized it at the time, but as other people kind of point out to her a little bit throughout her journey, you probably were not cut out for the very rule-bound, very hierarchical, very patriarchal at times elements of a police force. <laughs> mm. Even though, um, even though Fairfax County pays better than the average County, um, probably pays one of the best paying counties in Virginia, like Montgomery County is in uh, Maryland. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, and maybe more diverse, but certainly not yet where someone uh, such as uh, Willa would not appear to be a, uh, a round peg in a square hole. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely, because in addition to Willa being, a, you know, a young woman, she's biracial, okay. and she has a white father and a black mother, and her mother is an actress, and so they spent a lot of time traveling, and Willa decided that she wanted a little bit more of a stable life, so she went to live with her father and her brand new stepmother, and she's younger, um, and they proceed to have... Um, her brother Ben, and they're extremely close. So, 
I, I think I think one one of the reasons one of the reasons why um, I like being able to set the story here in my hometown is because there is a lot of diversity and people who are of mixed race aren't as much of an anomaly here as they would be in like, say, some small town in southeastern Virginia or southwestern Virginia. It's it's you know, she has a community here that's that's more that's that's she can look around and she recognizes more of who she is and, and what she lives with in her life. Yeah, but that her dad was black and also uh, a cop and military intelligence also talks about him breaking some ceilings and some barriers, too, as well. Actually, it's vice versa. I'm sorry. Mom is black. That's right. I apologize. No, Um, that's okay. Mom's the actress and she's black. Dad's white. I apologize. No, that's fine. I actually don't bring it up a lot in the books, which is going to sound strange, Mm -hmm. but there's a very interesting scene to me in the beginning where to her, it doesn't really mean much. She's kind of one of those people that's always been like, you take me as I am. I don't, I'm not here to be a placeholder for any demographic age group, race, gender, nothing. I'm Willa. Mm. And so it's, it's, Sometimes I forget, I forget that she is sometimes and it surprises me even though I created her. Yeah, but in the first five seconds of an interview that she's doing, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, she's biracial and that, ha- that brings up with it. It's um, from the, the person that they're interviewing, that brings up a way that they're viewing her. Does that, it, it, does that show up in any of the, uh, the dialogue? Yes and no. Okay. Um, Willa is in a in a in a in a unique position, and th- again, this may have informed her attitude of "I am who I am. I'm 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 not going to be your your totem carrier for mm-hmm. anything." Is that she quote unquote passes? I see. Um, and you know that one of my all time favorite movies is called Imitation of Life. Okay, and. Growing up in the South, um, I do have family members who are biracial. My best friend is um, is an African-American woman who lives in New York. Her family is from Alabama. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but Willa is a combination of me and her. And so I just I, I, I just wanted her to kind of grapple with things that she hadn't had to grapple with before. And that come up sometimes and and are kind of a blow to who you are as a person, who you thought you were as a person. So still still somewhat in a discovery phase when uh, when she's thrown a uh, a curveball. Oh, yes. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's great because. Uh, that's part of her, I want, I don't want to call her flaws. That's part of her education process. And that, and that, that's part of how she has to then overcome those obstacles. So you also said that she's a millennial. So, yep. um, from someone that's uh, a little younger than me, uh, tell me, uh, what, how does, how does a millennial working, uh, the mean streets of DC, go about it and how and how are people uh how do people uh, react with her 
Well, the not so mean streets of Fairfax County. Okay. Are, and DC, quite frankly, has, I mean, it has a few mean streets, but they're usually tourist laden and that's what makes people mean. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, I, I based a lot of how she presents herself on um, my next door neighbor's oldest daughter, who is just preternaturally put together. But she still has, and, and I think one of the reasons why I wanted to make her a millennial is because I wanted her to be kind of like one foot in and one foot out of this technological world that's changing at the speed of light. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, sure, she's grown up with the internet and she's grown up with cell phones, but she can't always grasp some of the like more bleeding edge technology that, that makes her job doable. And, and so how I, how I gave her that ability to kind of grasp that is I gave her this, this decade younger baby brother who is a computer whiz. Uh, like they all seem like they all seem to be <laughs> <laughs> and 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 funny that you should mention that because I think back to uh the girl with the dragon tattoo where Lisbeth, which was a neat name uh I guess she's the protagonist um is uh, for all intents and purposes at the time it was done a millennial, and she has the superpower of being able to you know go go into the deep web and and access building schematics and everything else you know yeah. like CSI but that's that that's almost become cliche you know and yeah. and that she's sort of there that your girl uh, a lady a woman uh your <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> private investigator is sort <laughs> yeah. sort of in that world but sort of not right. makes it kind of unique that that she doesn't have the superpowers and that she still has to go into the phone booth and change her clothes kind of slowly. So, yeah. 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 Or she's got to outsource it. That's good. I like that. So, um, so tell me about Willa and her progression through the novels. So when, when the, when what does the kill you begins, it's about four months after Michael has died and that she's quit. Um, she has returned home. She went out west to spend some time with her mother to just kind of not be where everything, you know, that all of the things were just kind of crumbling down on her because her parents, her mom and her stepdad have gone on a cruise and they need a legal adult <laughs> to watch over her younger brother who is only 17. Um, and I think one of the one of the elements I really like about this 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 pairing of her and her younger brother Ben is Ben is just again just like a much better adult than she is. Oh, that's good. I like that. She even says it that she's just like you know, okay, hey, I'm the you know, I'm the I'm the I'm pretending to be the adult here. Can you do your job and pretend to be the kid and. And she's got and, five years of being a cop under her belt too. So you think that that would come with a lot of uh, of uh, adulting skills? But uh, maybe she's you know, because of her the loss but, of her friend, she's still emotionally uh, coming out. Some of the emotional childhood is still uh, showing itself. She's very much an emotional child, and and the, the the reasoning the reason for that is 
also revealed in the second book of of how she came to live with her father and and what that whole experience was like. But the reality is, is that a lot of millennials had what I don't even like, they, they had like black helicopter parents where everything was just kind of sorted for them. And so a lot of them um, are, are having are, are having and have had a really hard time getting their feet under them because they've never had anything bad happen to them because mm-hmm. their parents have always smoothed the edges and made things better because they didn't want them to have to suffer. Right. Um, my daughter, who is a, a college freshman um, starting this year, um, we sat through speech after speech after speech and lecture after and lecture after lecture telling us not to be uh, snowplow parents mm. and bulldozer parents and helicopter parents. And I'm like, you guys picked the wrong generation to start having to use this speech for because I'm a Gen Xer. And let me just tell you, <laughs> I sat and watched my kid fall. <laughs> was like, hey, you won't do that again, will you? No. Um, but the poor millennials and, and, and that's why I did it because I watched, I've watched these people who are, who seemingly have every advantage, just have no idea what to do with them. And they feel so paralyzed Hmm. and being a cop makes it seem like you would have your ish together, but you don't have to, I mean, you you sit in a patrol car, you stop speeders, you go to calls. Your life is very regimented. Mm-hmm. It's not like you it's not like you have to figure out what you're doing in any given situation. You're the cop. They've trained you how to do that. Yeah. That's how you've been and, trained by your field training officer, and you've seen it uh countless times with your um peers on the exactly. job on the job. Right. Yeah. And uh usually you know, now with the world of body cams and more of com- uh and more closed circuit TVs, it's not as uh, cloaked as it used to be in the old days. I mean, right. they have to be a little bit more transparent. So um, so would you say that, and I'm not trying to private go into your private life, but would you say your daughter's a millennial? No, 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 no. My daughter is Gen Z. Gen 100% Z. 100% Gen Z. Okay. She was, she was born just before 9-11. All right. So. Okay, then. Gen Z. So you're Gen X. She's Gen. Then there's millennials. Then there's Gen Z, and yeah. that's and so the pendulum is swinging back for her. But uh, Will is not. Will is kind of stuck there with the, uh, uh, like you said, the black helicopter parents. So, yeah. So and that uh, becomes that becomes readily apparent just how bad it can be in book two. Okay, which is named uh, Dark Streets, Cold Suburbs. Just for our listeners, how many uh, books do you have uh, with Willa? Currently, there's only those two, What Doesn't Kill You and Dark Streets, Cold Suburbs. And that's because um, the publisher who was publishing the books, um, Llewellyn, decided to shutter their mystery imprint, Midnight Inc. And so um, the third book would have been coming out this January, but they're no longer publishing. So I have book three. Um, it's all plotted out. It's been half written. And just as soon as I can free up my rights, um, fingers crossed, I'll be finding a new publisher for them. I'm hoping the Seamus nomination is is helpful. I, I think it might be. Okay. Do you think uh, 
that you might go indie? Maybe. All right. Am well, I, I don't, I, I, I don't honestly know. I just, there's I love Willa. I want to, I, I definitely want to continue on with her story. Um, if you get her rights back. Yeah. You know, once I, you get her rights back, we'll, we'll see what happens. All right. Okay. And, uh, I'll be at, uh, Bausher Khan as well. And if you want to talk to a dyed in the wool indie author, um, I'll, I'll share a Pepsi with you or a Coke. So. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't be trying to that Pepsi nonsense with me. You Yankee. <laughs> we do Coca-Cola here in the South. <laughs> oh, that's true. Right up from, right up from Atlanta. So, uh, I'll share a soft drink with you. How's that? So <laughs> that sounds lovely. All right. So, um, so now in, in Willow's character arc, um, mm-hmm. you've, you've brought her through, um, uh, coming off the PD after the, um, her, she kind of goes into emotional freefall after the loss of her friend. And she's, uh, is she learning under her, uh, father's wing is, and is that causing any sort of, uh, father, daughter, uh, any, you know, mentor, mentee type of, uh, friction? Well, see, that's the plan, but her first case presents itself while her father is, uh, doing a river cruise through Europe. Okay. So she's, she gets some, some phone advice, but a lot of it is just kind of figuring it out as you go along. So she goes from this very rather, I've been trained, I know the rules, I know the regulations, I know what I am and I'm not allowed to do to this. Okay, I don't know what the heck to do. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and so she kind of like part of it is she kind of just stumbles her way along. Part of it is she uses logic. Mm-hmm. Like, well, hey, the PD has software to write these reports. I'm sure some enterprising former cop has created the same thing for private investigators. Like, mm-hmm. so, so she just kind of, I don't want to say blunders her way around because that just makes it sound like she's just like, oh, look. I know, but certainly better than having the uh, the, the old man uh, guide her by the hand. So I, I I like that a lot better, quite frankly. You know? Well, that's actually <laughs> uh, I I always kind of hate to admit this. I'm actually my face is hot right now as I admit this, but I had no idea. I had no idea how to write a PI. And so I was kind of sitting there like, how much research should I do? Like, do I need to shadow somebody? And I was talking to my mentor, Matt Clemens, who writes um, with Max Allen Collins. Um, great thriller series they have set in D.C. And um, I said to him, I was like, you know, maybe I should just like have her not have her mentor around, even though you have to apprentice here, maybe he, maybe he's gone mm-hmm. and maybe she can just have to figure it out on her own. Cause right. I don't know how to do it. And he's like, well, yeah, why don't you? And I was like, no, that was a joke. And he's like, no, why don't you? And I went, oh yeah, that does solve all my problems. Doesn't it? It sure does. That's great. I, I, I think he was right. I think, and I'm glad that you're bringing a really fresh perspective to this. He's brilliant. Uh, well, I, I, he's just brilliant. <laughs> well, and but you also know that you have a practicing PI on the other end of this podcast. So if you ever have to, you know, talk uh, technique or what is, you know, give me a holla, 
and I'll be able to well, tell you through that. I, I so appreciate that, but I actually have a really interesting story about this. Go ahead. So my husband and daughter have been in martial arts for years and years and years. And after they got their black belts in Taekwondo, they decided to try jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Well, this young woman that they met at jujitsu um, was a Fairfax County police officer, a uniformed officer at the time. And I had already I had already written the whole entire book. Um, I was editing it and um, querying. So he comes home and he's like, you're not going to believe this. So he tells me the story and we laugh and and it's I meet her and she's delightful and really interesting. And then halfway through, like the first year of them knowing each other, she decides she's going to quit and become a private eye. Hmm. So like I have this one, like, like I see You her, can't do you better know, than that. Right. I see her two or three times a week. And the best part about it, she's so amazing. She's like, oh, she's a world-class jujitor and a world-class judoan. But she did um, a self-defense demonstration for the launch of my second book, Dark Streets Cold Suburbs. Mm-hmm. So that was, it was really cool to kind of get to see it all in action. Wow. That's a wonderful story. Isn't so, that amazing? It is. So- you know, part of my uh, talking with uh, writers is not to give any spoilers, just to give give everybody a taste of why they should read Willa Pennington. And I think that so far you've given them a lot of good reasons, too, that she's fresh, that she's not, uh, she doesn't play the ar- archetype. And you've got some good stories uh, that are going to be seen through her eyes, and it's going to be very unique the way that she goes about solving the cases. So that's fantastic. Now, a while ago, or before you started writing, you had authors in your life that you read. Oh yeah, and that were there was there anyone in particular and their their flawed detective that you sort of looked at and said, "Wow, that's really great writing, and that's really a great character." You know, it, something you said at the very beginning when we were talking about why I wanted to write Willa. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to write Willa because. I did read these gorgeous, amazing, well-rounded, interesting, entertaining female detectives. Marsha Muller, you know, she writes these amazing books. Sarah Paretsky, yep. she writes these amazing books. The late Sue Grafton, right? she wrote. And then Robert B. Spencer wrote one, and it didn't do as well as his other books. But she was the one that when I, when I, I, I the itch to write got too bad and I couldn't like push it down anymore, I I leaned back on her, and her name is Sunny Randall, and, and that's and Robert was, B. Parker's uh, creation. Robert B. Parker, yeah, and it's Sunny Randall. Sunny Randall, the Sunny Randall series, and I she I mean she is there. There was just something about her. Because by the time I was, by the time he started, he'd written them, I was a little bit older. And so I wasn't quite thinking, okay, well, these other ladies have got to be like, like, mm-hmm. even if they're suspended in time, they've got to be like way older than me. I was closer in age when I found her. Okay. And I just, I really just liked how she was so unapologetic about. You know, she loved it. She loved an unpredictable and very unwisely man. She's a private detective, 
you know, and her former spouse is part of the mob. She's part of the mob family. But she doesn't give up her relationship with him. It's very much back and forth and off and on and, and this pull and push between them. And I just thought that was so much more interesting than, you know, I live alone. I, I don't answer to anybody. It's just she has this like deep love affair with this man who she can't live with and she can't be friends with, but she can't let go of. And he's the same with her and he eventually gets remarried, but they're still just in this dance. And I, I just thought it was so exquisitely like interesting to watch this woman who was otherwise so incredibly savvy and just really with it, just have this almost fatal flaw of not being able to see the forest for the trees or worse, being able to see the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. And just shutting her eyes. Well, I, I'm only going to give you. I'm going to give you a breather here by saying something that um, the Sopranos was gr- groundbreaking for a lot yeah. of reasons, absolutely. And that uh, e- Edie Falco played Mrs. Soprano, and I gosh, yeah. I forget her first name. I'm sorry. I Carmella. Should, Carmella. Thank you. Uh, and uh, Catholic name. <laughs> yes, that is right, Carmella. And, uh, and, and, and for the first time in, in mob history as portrayed in the movies, um, the mob wife wasn't a uh, cardboard cutout or someone always relegated to the kitchen making pasta. And, and to me, I found that to be really refreshing that they actually created a real, real person there in Carmela. Um, and it sounds like what Parker did with Sonny and the mob husband, now ex former husband is really gives her a unique, very unique push and pull in her own life that kind of sets her emotional tone as she goes about her work. And, uh, that's just, and that, that is like a, a love story or a, a romance story that is almost Shakespearean in nature. If I could, if I could be so bold as to say, would that be fair? To- no, I, I absolutely. I 100% agree with you, but it's not all the, like, I wouldn't call it Romeo and Juliet. It's oh, no. probably, it's probably, it's probably as if you wrote Romeo and Juliet with Beatrice and Benedict from much ado about nothing okay. and removed the humor Okay. Like you've got these two exceptionally strong-willed characters who have to find a way to love each other or let each other go. And they mm. don't do either throughout, mm. you know, the, the course of several books. And I thought that was so much more interesting than the, like, I literally can't remember any of the cases. I remember her dog because I love my dogs. Mm. And I remember this just... Like you're you're just kind of watching this relationship go back and forth with this existential dread of like when's the train wreck gonna happen? Yeah, I like that, and 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 it's uh, it sounds I I can't I I can't for the for the ever say a word about what uh, Parker has done in terms of plot versus character, 
But it seems to me, like you just said, that, oh, I can't remember the story, but boy, these characters, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and the dog, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And to me, it sounds like that's what really um, what hooked you in. Now, yeah. now, did you and did you say to yourself, "I'm I'm going to write Willa, and I'm going to keep this in mind"? You know that she's going to be more than, uh, you know, that she's going to have some emotional baggage, and that she's going to have some push and pull outside of the whodunit. Not consciously. So what I set out to do was I wanted her to just be a real person. Okay. Like if she had stepped off of the page and she was sitting at a coffee shop, would she hold up? Would she be the kind of person that, you know, a lot of times and I'm not, I'm not going to name names here, but a lot of times you get these characters that just everything they do is right. Right. Even when they make a stupid decision, it turns out great. And I just, I couldn't, I can't relate to that um, because I have anxiety mm-hmm. and I second guess everything. So I kind of wanted to have a character who doesn't necessarily second guess everything, but when she takes a leap or when she takes, you know, a step forward and maybe is a little bit more daring than she should be and she kind of gets kicked. Like, I wanted her to pull back and lick her wounds and not just be, like, diving headlong into the same thing. Like, oh, well, the last time I touched the stove, I burned my hand. But I'm sure it won't happen this time. (laughs) Like, I wanted her to be like, wow, okay, that mm, was really stupid. I'm a moron and I need to do something else. Yeah. But also... Like, kind of, like, also have her, like, reaching toward, like, you could see her reaching towards the stove again to just, like, hover her hand over to see if it was still hot. Okay. Like That's a, a great person. analogy, you know? Like a person. Yeah. You know, we try things, we fail. We we get up and we dust ourselves off. Sometimes we're stupid and we try the, the same thing that didn't work. But eventually that person has to just stop doing the same thing over and over again and find a way. So I wanted her to be stubborn and I wanted her to not quit, but I also wanted her to go about it in a way that was very realistic and, and relatable. I like that. I like that a lot because, uh, as you know, in, in reading countless private eye, uh, movie, uh, not movies, uh, books or uh, novels and, or watching countless PI movies or investigator movies, uh, they pick up on this little thread that nobody else does. And then right. their, their road to solving the crime is a nonstop, you know, uh, picking up more threads, getting more information, maybe once in a while getting a red herring thrown at them. But basically, it's a, it's a straight line from that first thread right to the ball of yarn. And I like the fact that, well, no, uh, the thread gets broken or she drops the ball of yarn and it falls down behind the couch and she bumps her head. And, you know, I get that. And I like I like that a lot. And given the fact that dad's on a cruise and maybe her training as a Fairfax County uh, cop doesn't really allow her to uh, to to have seen that mistake in the making. Her learning process is one that uh, I think is is the what I think is a beginnings of a great uh, series, quite frankly. I mean, if you could pace that out and drip and drip and drip, drip, drip that out over, you could go a long way with Willa. Have you thought about that? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so in book two, it, that it, this t- book two takes place about four months after the ends of of book one. Okay. And it's interesting. The the third book takes place about four months after that. Like I've somehow just started like writing a book for every season. This one's fall. The second one is mm-hmm. is winter. The third one is spring summer. But she she's taken some licks and she's not sure who she is anymore and she's not sure who she wants to be and that you know she she can be as picture perfect as she wants on paper and taking the tests and you know doing the supervised you know work but inside the back of her head she's just like am i am i gonna am i gonna make it and so that that self-doubt for somebody who's never indulged themselves and that necessarily before becomes its own mystery to solve. It becomes its own um, problem to overcome. So it's one of the things that was really important to me was that I wanted to make sure that there was always, I mean, if you want to call it a character arc, if you want to call it a story arc, you know, or, or growth or whatever, I wanted her to have an internal problem to solve always with the external problem. Mm-hmm. Always, because otherwise, why do I care? Why, why do I care if this person solves this particular mystery? Why do I care if I can't see who she is as a person, care about her, relate to her, understand what she's going through, understand what it's taking for her to get up every morning and do what's right? That's a hero. That's bravery to me to overcome your fear of getting hurt or failing and going out and doing the right thing anyway, because it's the right thing, not because you're getting paid because she doesn't get paid in this first one. And I got news for you. She didn't get paid in the second one either. Mm. (laughs) She, um, she does what she does because she cares about people and she cares about the right thing being recognized and she doesn't do it for the pats on the back. Cause she's kind of like, she's kind of like, yeah, don't, don't blow sunshine at me. I'm, you know, I, I know mm. I, she's just kind of, she does it because that's the person that she wants to be. And that's the person that she thinks her best friend thought she was. Hmm. I wanted just to sit with that a little bit. I know it's, so it's, it's it sounds like dead air, but it's not. I'm I'm sitting I'm sitting with that because I can hear the wheels turning. Yeah, that's a wonderful wonderful explanation. Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, probably wrote one of the most refreshing private investigators to come down the pike in a long long time, and uh, I I I'm not seeing any reason, you know, why they shouldn't have considered this to be a a nomination for uh, best first private eye novel so uh my kudos to you and thank uh, you so much that's that's such an amazing compliment no really i mean because i I think about what you've done with her and 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 how you can and how you put her into this situation it really is it's it's different and it's something that uh goes against trope a little bit but you know what Uh, i'm not going to say it's totally against trope I know that uh, Janet Ivanovich 
writes uh, Stephanie Plum as yes. as a uh, process server, uh, a bail hunter, sort yeah. of, uh, because you know her job at the uh, lingerie uh, uh, department at the department store. You know, she got fired from or or got laid yeah. off. Yeah, so now she has to find other kind of work. I mean that, and you kind of see Stephanie bumbling along, and of course she has her uh, uh, love interest as well. But it's a little bit more surface, I think. You know, for but they write it very well, and I, I wouldn't know if it, how well it's written because I listen to them on tape or on <laughs> on Audible. So with a wonderful, wonderful narrator. But um, but yeah, a Stephanie Plum sort of character that is uh, not not by any stretch of the imagination, having uh, all of her act together and certainly uh, very little of the investigative chops. It just seems that, uh, you know, she has to figure things out, which makes for a very interesting uh, read for sure, or or listen in my case. But anyway, um, I only mentioned uh, Ivanovich in that that setting because I I, I thought of a little bit of a, a Stephanie Plum when you were talking about Willa. By contrast, not by you know by any no. sort of you know part, trying to pigeonhole them. They're probably oh, no. very unique. Not at all. I honestly, that's that's a compliment. I certainly wouldn't mind somebody giving me like a fourteen million dollar deal to write six, five or six books. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, they're they're not as they're not as funny. They're probably not as sexy. Mm-hmm. Um. I think they're a little darker, mostly just because what the 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 inciting incident for stephanie is that she needs a paycheck right and inciting inf- incident for willa is very much something bad has happened to somebody it maybe not somebody i care about but it's somebody that didn't deserve it okay i like that i like that so and then of course now you're going to you've turned me on to sunny randall from the uh, robert b parker series yeah, so, I think there's about seven of them. That's wonderful. I think that that's just, as Baby Bear would say, that's just right. So, exactly. Yeah, I could certainly do that and uh, hopefully be able to put them on my Kindle and uh, read them in in order. I love reading uh, beginning through end. I you yeah. know, and I will actually stop 15 pages into a book and say, I like this writer. I like the fact that uh, I like this character. Let me go back to the beginning, and I will put that book down, literally put it down, and then go back and find where they start the series, and then read up to that point again and say, okay, now I'm, I, I like it better. Call, now I can get here. Yeah. Call me, I don't know what you want to call me, uh, curmudgeon. Call me that, I don't know. I just think that I, I like to read, I like to watch the development of the detective yeah. uh, from the earliest writings and also I like to watch the um the writer and how the craft yeah gets better as well I mean to me uh, that that's sort of juicy knowing that oh this, if I really like this gee I like to know where they started from and, and right. how they got to this point gives me um lots of um encouragement knowing that a lot of uh you know a lot of stuff you know, took time to write and took time to grow and that the writer's voice, you know, took time over the series to get better and better and better. So yeah, yeah, for real. Yeah. Now, you know, even if a first book is nominated for anything, that doesn't necessarily mean that they, 
like Willa knew what they were doing when they started and had a, you know, maybe if they'd written that story 10 years later after, you know, nine other books, it wouldn't have been better. But right. there's a special kind of magic to those beginnings. Um, there's nothing better in the world than being a beginner. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's not a really common, you know, commonly expressed sentiment. But being a beginner is great because you get to learn something new. You get to start fresh. You get to be, you know, somebody who's learning something. And you get to have that excuse of, hey, look, I'm new at this. I'm trying as hard as I can, but I'm not going to be perfect. No. And I think when I think the more we allow people to do that, especially people who, you know, are, are writing as a second or even third career, um, walking away from, you know, I walked away from a 20 year career, um, with the federal government doing something that was a, not something any, anybody could just pop, you know, dash off and pop up on Amazon, you know, mm-hmm. if, if they wanted that immediateness. I, you know, I was a professional statistician doing trend analysis and risk assessment. And it's a small field. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was quote unquote, the guy. And so it was, it was very difficult kind of towards the end of it to like honor my commitment to myself and say, nope, I'm done with this. I did what I said I was going to do. I prepaid my daughter's college education. It's time for me to, to do this writing thing and see if I can do it. Yeah. I like that. I, I just had so many people. And one of the things that I love about the mystery community is for people who kill other people, Gosh, mystery writers are some of the nicest, most welcoming, <laughs> most accepting, most giving, generous people. I have had so many writers help me, offer to help me. I had people reading my queries for me. I had people, you know, people who write amazing books were were being my beta readers. I had Matt Clement who read literally every single chapter as it was being written, you know, and every single one of them was like, yes, baby writer, you know, here, let me put this ladder down. Let me help you out of this bucket. Nobody's going to try to knock you down. I love that. And that's, that's the best thing about this community. I I love that. And, you know, the fact that you got a nomination for first novel, that doesn't mean, um, that, um, you're going to go the way of, uh, J.D. Salinger after Catcher in the Rye or, you know, that you know you can't do it again or you get better at it. it just means that um you got validated very very quickly for what you did and i think it it sounds to me like you want to uh continue to grow in your craft and uh you owe it to yourself because you made that decision uh to walk away from a career that you were doing good at to I was. to it, I mean, uh, it, was, it was killing me it was killing me physically and emotionally, but it's all like your federal government careers are hard on you. Yeah, I know. They're hard on you. So you're getting your soul back is what you're saying. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I agree. I mean, so it sounds like, you know, this is going to be the beginning of uh, these two books are going to be the beginning of a, a wonderful series with Willa. And I'm going to get to watch you write as well. And uh uh, I'm going to be bringing a lot of cash with me to uh, BoucherCon because as I'm paying writers to uh, sign their books for me, I want 
do the same with you. So bring a copy of uh, uh, What Doesn't Kill You with you to uh, BushaCon, and uh, I hope that uh, I can buy it from you and you'll sign it for me. How's that sound? That would sound lovely, except for I am not attending. Ah! I'm so sorry. Honestly, I had I had 100% planned to attend um, because, and and I'm gonna I'm this I literally my stomach hurts as I'm about to say this. Not only am I nominated for the Seamus Award, I'm actually also nominated for the best first Anthony. Really? Um, yeah, but um, it just it it like it doesn't. It doesn't work with our family schedule and my daughter being in her first year of college and fall break and all right. It just doesn't. I just well, who's going to accept for you then? I can't. I I don't know. I I honestly knock on wood. I would I would super duper be surprised if I won, but I'm sure if I did, one of my friends would be there and be like, okay, uh, I'll yeah, I'll I'll accept this on her behalf. Mm -hmm. Well. Uh, rather than that, I would, I would pick a friend to do that for you. Oh, no. Yeah, no. I, I, um, my, my, again, who is the, the woman who is half of Willa with me, her name is Dran Love. Mm. She writes, uh, Drew's book musings. She's won the Raven award for, you know, uh, at the, at the Anthony's. She is absolutely 100% the best person I know. I know a lot of really great people too. All right. If, yeah, if, if I won, she would absolutely be the person pushed to go up and accept it for me. All right. Good. So, uh, how can people get in touch with you, Amy? Okay. Well, I am on Instagram at Amy Hicks author. And I am spell Amy for me. A I M. E E H I X. Okay. I got two two common names that are spelled in an uncommon manner. That's why I asked you to spell it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm on Facebook as Amy Hicks author. I'm on Twitter as Amy Hicks author, and I'm on the World Wide Web at amyhicks.com. Gotcha. Well, uh, is there anything that I forgot to ask you that you'd like to add at this time? Um, so, I, I mean, we mentioned, uh, before we started recording that, in, in, you know, you were telling me what we should do as I had pre-warned you that I do have three dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, and also a dog, there is a dog that appears in the second book that Willa, Willa gets a dog in the second book. Because, oh, good. That, because, um, is that, is that the dog in the background there that Willa gets? No, it's not. So as I, was, as I was writing Dark Streets, Cold Suburbs, I um, it was a very weird confluence of I had vertigo because oh. of some, sin some sinus issues I was having. And um, my sweet uh, dog, Karma, who was my my first dog as, as a grown up, um, she was dying of cancer. Mm. So I would take my medication and I would wait for it to kick in and then I would sit on the bed and I would write for as long as my medication worked. So I, you know, wasn't like the world wasn't tilting and karma would sleep next to me. And I remember at one point looking at her and thinking, you know, she's not going to be around when this book comes out. I need to immortalize her. So I immortalized her in the book as um, a German shepherd puppy named Fargo who failed out of the ATF's uh, canine unit training because okay. she was too friendly and she was too eager to please. Um, and so if you like dogs, 
I do. You you will and you and you liked Willa. You will love the second book because I 100 percent I will and, and I'm the first person to tell you this. I will 100 percent always spoil something to tell you that nothing bad happens to the dog. Oh. Like you know, if, if you've never seen John Wick, I will straight up tell you the dog dies. I I, I know I know that from some of the uh, the dog uh, dies from some of the YouTube videos and um it sets will, it, it sets yeah. him off pretty well yeah yeah nothing will nothing bad will ever happen to a dog it won't like it won't get a hangnail okay. it won't like it won't like stumble and like sprain its paw no it'll never happen All right. in any of my books people get people get like shot people get killed people get pushed downstairs people get coshed over the head people get you know like attacked but no dog will ever be harmed in one of my books all right i appreciate that so uh thank you for adding that i I know it was kind of that wasn't a trick question at the end but you know we had such a good conversation and we just rolled and rolled and rolled i want to make sure that i covered everything and that there wasn't that oh heck we forgot to talk about this or oh heck we forgot to talk about that so Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate that. I love you telling me about Willa. I love you telling me about Sonny Randall. I love, um, you know, the fact that uh, you've been nominated for your first uh, novel. And hopefully it won't be the last uh, accolade that is thrown your way. Um, sounds like you work hard to make this happen. And uh, I, I just wish you the best of luck, Amy. So, uh I'll be cheering for whoever goes up on the stage that day to pick up your award. So, all right. Thank you so much. You have been so kind and so lovely. And I have just had such a great time talking to you. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I hope that I've earned your interest and your time. Please leave any comments on the website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Our guest next week is Brian Joseph. She is the owner and head investigator at Sly Fox Investigations, a nationally recognized private investigations firm, and she's been licensed in the state of Louisiana for 13 years. She has published articles about private investigation. Mrs. Joseph was previously appointed the Region 2 Director of the Louisiana Private Investigators Association. Having worked with other top investigators in the state, updating the training manual for new investigators, she has literally helped write the book on private investigations there. She has been featured in several national publications, including Essence Magazine, The Atlanta Post, and many others. Brianne is a breast cancer survivor, speaker, best-selling author, and philanthropist. Through her breast cancer empowerment brand, she travels the country as a keynote speaker at oncology conferences, educating doctors and oncology staff on ways they can help empower their patients. She's also a keynote speaker for Women's Empowerment Summits. Sly Fox Investigation specializes in surveillance for insurance, child custody, and infidelity cases. Her agency also specializes in service of process and is notorious for successfully serving those intentionally avoiding service. Women are changing the face of private investigations, and Sly Fox Investigations is proud to be a recognized leader at the forefront of that chain. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear other great detective stories, please go to the website and click on our podcast page. There you'll find the backlist. Now, you're probably asking, John, what about your own stories? Do you have any? Sure enough, I do. And they are available to you free as a download right to your inbox. 
I have eight short stories and eight vignettes in a book titled Mugshots, My Favorite Detective Stories. Now here's my ask. If you were either informed, inspired, or entertained by the stories today, don't be bashful. Share this link with your friends. Better still, go to the iTunes website and leave a review. It's the best way to grow the circle around our campfire. If you have any questions, please contact me through the website, www.johnhoda.com, J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Thanks so much, and have a great day.